Hello, my name is Erica Lorenz, and I am honored to be your host for another season of the Adoptee Voyages podcast. Adoptee Voyages serves and supports transracial adoptees with healing conversations that inform and encourage our listeners through the power of shared experience. This season, all episodes focus on adoptees who have decided to explore their first culture. Each Wednesday brings a new story and journey. So find a comfy seat and settle in as we hear this Adoptee's Voyage. Hello, Adoptee Voyages listeners. It's Erica. Welcome back to another episode. Today's guest, her name is Jennifer Lee. She is a transracial adoptee from Korea. Um, She is a Oma, which means mother in Korean. But yeah, she's a single mom in the PNW. Um, She is currently estranged from her adoptive family and has been for five years. That will kind of get brought up as we talk about her culture and her identity. She's worked in the immigration sector for about 20 years now and super proactive in working with justice and racial equity. She's an avid runner and a podcast listener. So I am super pumped that she is here on the podcast today. Jennifer, would you like to say hello? Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here and to share my story and to connect with the community. Yeah, of course. I'm very excited to have you here. So for listeners, we were able to connect a little bit offline. So Jennifer, I'm just going to pass it right over to you. If you want to give them some context on a bit of your adoption story and your background of growing up. Absolutely. So I am 45 years old currently. I was adopted from South Korea when I was not quite 20 months old or about 20 months old. So not quite two years old. I was adopted from an orphanage in Korea. I came over I guess it was 1979, um, and was adopted by a white family, into a white family, um, as a single child. And I have a non-biologically related sister who was also adopted from Korea who came a few years after me. Hmm. Um, and we grew up in the in kind of the federal way area and then later moved to Vashon Island, where I spent most of my elementary, middle school, high school years, and then moved off as soon as I could, <laughs> moved yeah. off the island yeah. into the city, kind of as soon as I turned 18. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I grew up in predominantly white communities. Um, I wasn't exposed to my culture kind of at all as a child. Um, and a lot of that I kind of internalized as this sense of I'm supposed to assimilate. I really should mm. try and mirror the community that I'm in, immersed in. I, like any kid, I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to make friends. Um, and I didn't want to stand out in a way that had anything to do with my race because I really didn't know what that was. I didn't have any context or any any information. Um, I think being adopted adds a different, I don't know, lens to childhood and to what it means to be part of a family. I think even more so when you're when it's a transracial adoption so you're searching for your identity kind of as a person in general, but you don't really have any starting place yeah. when you are adopted, and especially when you're coming from a totally different culture. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And for listeners who are like, what, where is Vashon Island? Where is Federal Way? Um, that's like the greater Seattle area. So just for context, um, where yes, there is diversity, but it sounds like in the areas that Jennifer was raised, it was predominantly white community. So just for clarification, but Jennifer, thank you for sharing that. You mentioned that you really wanted to assimilate and I, I can definitely like agree with that. That was kind of my experience wanting to fit in, be accepted. That's definitely something a lot of transracial adoptees go through. Was there a point in your story, either childhood, teenage years, adulthood, where you kind of flipped the script and were saying, wait, I have a curiosity about my culture. I want to know where I come from. When I think back, I don't know if there was a a lightning bolt moment or some Hmm. kind of epiphany I had. I think as I got older, I had um, I had a harder time getting along, kind of following the this kind of structured path that I think was laid before me. I was a good student. I didn't cause trouble. I was, you know, a rule follower. I was definitely the peacemaker in my family. Hmm. Um, but I had this growing sense of unease, and you can kind of watch. I, I can look back and watch myself go through high school, especially. I think. Um, and move from my sophomore to my senior year, where I think this sense of not just anxiety, but pretty deep depression set Mm. in. And I ended up not going to my actual high school, my last, my senior year of high school, I ended up going to a community college instead. I was very suicidal. Mm. Um, I changed friends, friend groups pretty dramatically in, in high school. And I wasn't really truly connecting, I think, with anyone. It wasn't really connecting with myself, I think. I, I really had no sense of self at all hmm. um, by my senior year. And then as soon as I graduated from high school, I moved out. I ended up going to community college for a while. I held different jobs. Yeah. I had these kind of interesting years where I did a lot of stuff. I worked a lot of different jobs. I got my own apartment. I kind of got myself kind of just away from this area that I had grown up in. I think that all stemmed from this place of trying to figure out who I truly was and yeah. really having no, no direction to go, like no sense of mm-hmm. it must be about my adoption. There's got to be some core yeah. kind of longing or trauma really that I need to confront that I had no groundwork or, or roadmap yeah. to deal with it. Yeah. Was your like searching for your first culture a piece of that? as in wanting to be around communities of people that looked like you, maybe understand kind of the historical context of your birth country, things like that? I think it eventually became that. I think in the beginning, I was very drawn to marginalized communities that felt safe for me. So they were still mm-hmm. the white communities. I became a volunteer in with gay groups or with um, LGBTQ organizations. And I wanted to connect with people that felt like they were, I don't know, working against a system or were trapped in a system of some sort. I felt a deep connection to people that were having kind of an intense experience of some sort. So I became an emotional support volunteer for people affected by HIV and AIDS. I became a camp counselor at a camp for kids affected by HIV and AIDS, but it was still a predominantly white community. Yeah. Um, and that felt safe to me. And I really still had a, an uneasiness 
connecting to just the Asian population in general, not really seeing myself as part of that population. And I had no in in a way. I didn't, I didn't know a language. I didn't know a food. I didn't know any of the the culture or the kind of the touchstones to to the Asian culture at large, which is so huge. Yeah. So Korean culture, I had nothing, but even Asian culture in general, I really had no in that I could that I could find. That took a lot of work. Yeah. I really like how you phrased it. I don't have an in with my culture. Like just thinking about that as people who are from either a different culture or country, we don't have a navigated path of how to get quotation mark in with the place that we're from. And that can be a really confusing experience when trying to understand who we are and how to interact with others who see us maybe for, you know, just our physical outward look and not knowing who we are or our story. I appreciate you stating that because that like really resonates with me and I think can really resonate with a lot of transracial adoptees experiences. So you didn't instantly, once you're, you know, navigating your own identity, trying to figure out who you are, navigate your way towards like your culture or your birth country or people from that area. Was there a point in adulthood where you dipped your toe into the water and said, okay, I want to know more about Korea? Absolutely. I actually went to Korea in my 20s. All on my own. Um, I ended up taking a trip back in my early 20s um, that I paid for myself. I kind of put it together. It was this very, I'll just sign up for a tour and I'll be part of this group tour that's going to Korea and I'll at least get to eat the food and see the sights and it'll be this kind of safe experience. Well, it ended up being, I was the only person on the tour. So it was really just me and this other woman, this young woman in Korea. And it ended up being this very bonding experience between the two of us because she took me around to these different cities in Korea. She could translate for me. Um, We ended up doing this hike up this incredible mountain and eating ramen with these random guys at the top. We're just making ramen on the side of this mountain. We prayed in these temples. It was this incredible experience. And at the same time, I remember thinking, I don't get it. I don't get what I'm Mm. supposed to feel on this trip. I know this is where I'm from. Like I cognitively made a lot of sense intellectually I was like this is where I'm from and these yeah. are my people and I should feel something about this and I still felt very much like a tourist like I was learning things I needed a translator I didn't yeah. you know the food tasted good but I didn't understand what it was but I think that just taking that step of saying I'm going to send myself on this trip and it is what it is yeah and then also the experience of coming back and having my adoptive family not that interested in the fact that I had taken this trip, Hmm. Um, you know, not, I think, understanding the full weight and the gravity of how big this was for me, kind of made me second guess where I was in it too, and kind of what place, does this culture belong to me? Do I have a say in it? Do Hmm. I have a place in it? Or am I really just always going to be a tourist, kind of in my own homeland? Yeah. I mean, right there, that's a really powerful statement. Am I going to be a tourist in my homeland? 
what I hear you saying is throughout your story, throughout your life, you've been navigating different communities that feel safe and they've been predominantly white. And a lot of times people assume your family unit, whatever that may look like for individuals is a safe place for you to explore, grow, understand, identify whether or not intentionally or not. It does sound like even after this experience of going back to Korea, trying to, you know, just pick up the pieces of, okay, should I resonate with this? Like, do I actually like this food? Different elements that make Korea, Korea. Um, It sounded like your family wasn't really the most positive or encouraging place to find that community to just process it. I guess, after that experience, do you feel like that made you move more towards wanting to know more about Korea? Or did you take a, like a hiatus and just say, okay, I'm going to pause. I'm not going to continue pressing into myself or into my culture. Gosh, that's a good question. Looking back, I think that I probably took a pause. I think it's very, it's very depleting to have your Oh, yeah. Kind of nuclear family not see you and not see kind of how hard this was or what how big of a deal this was for you. Yeah. Um, and to treat it kind of like I treated it as like I was a tourist in this country. It was interesting to look at the photos a little bit, but there was no inquiry as to like, what was this like for you as a mm. human? You know, what yeah. was it like as, as an adoptee and no one asked any questions about it. They, mm. you know, liked the gifts that I brought back. We looked at the picture book once and then we didn't really ever talk about it again. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it was different because my sister who's also adopted from Korea is having a very different adoptive experience than I am. Yep. Um, and so she wasn't invested in it at all either. Mm. So I think when the people close to you aren't invested in your story, you start to second guess it. And I wanted to move past it in a way. I wanted to like, okay, well, if it wasn't this, then what is the next thing I'm going to try? So yeah, I think it did push me away from going toward kind of delving deeper into who am I and what does this mean to me? I mean, at some point that changes completely, but yeah, um, but yeah, I, I do think I took a break from it. Yeah. I was just going to say, do you want to elaborate on maybe when that change happened? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it the the switch flipped very dramatically when I had a biological child. Hmm. I think that having a child was such a transformative experience for me and having a biological child because it was the first person I'd ever been related to by blood that I knew. And wow. I had this sense of a birth story. I knew someone's birth date. I had all of these firsts that I could mark with pictures and with Mm. stories I could write down in a book. I had all of this evidence of someone's life starting and it was totally tied into my life. It was kind of, I started this life and then I gave birth to this life and I could watch all of these firsts kind of unfold. It became a very concrete grounding experience Mm. and it made me realize I'm an actual whole person that has a history and has ancestors and has this whole, I don't know, gift of identity to pass on to someone and who I, I felt a very 
strong responsibility too, to know who I am in order to not pass a trauma along to my child, kind of this trauma of not knowing who you are and not feeling like you fit in. I wanted to not have her feel the way I feel Hmm. about myself. I wanted to change that. And I knew that that work had to start with me. I had to face the trauma and I had to go do the work. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really impactful. Uh, I do not have any children of my own, but I know that for a lot of people, that is a really transformative experience. And so hearing that that for you flip the switch in, okay, I'm not interested in my history, my identity, my background to, okay, I am, I guess, how has that played out over the years in interacting with your culture today? Yeah. Um, It's such a strong part of my culture. I don't even think of it anymore. This is my culture and I identify as a Korean American woman. Mm. My child identifies herself as Korean. She'll just tell you she's Korean. I think that it became this learning experience for both of us. As she got older, I realized, oh, there are like celebrations we can have. Korean Thanksgiving, uh, Lunar New Year, um, you know, having traditional clothing that belongs to us. You know, we even got a hanbok, which is the traditional Korean dress for our cat. Mm. Um, according to my daughter, she's also Korean <laughs> because yes. we're Korean. So yeah, that's awesome. Korean. We read a lot of books about, you know, Korean fairy tales and children's mm. stories. We have a lot of even chapter books that have even just Asian you know, central characters, things like that. At first it was deliberate, but it feels very natural now. Yeah. Kind of, this is my lineage. Mm-hmm. And it was really just me getting in touch with it and allowing it to be what it is for me. Like it doesn't have to look a certain way, right? Yeah. It can just, I can claim it as my own and I don't have to know everything about it. Mm-hmm. It can just be mine because it simply is. Yeah. I, I come from this place. I have actual ancestors, whether I know them or not, they exist. Yeah. Um, the food is mine because it's the food that my people eat, right? Yeah. I don't have to like yeah. it or not like it. I don't have to know all the words for it. So it became this kind of natural part of who we are. And it's be, it's been very powerful. I feel like yeah. it's it's been transformative. Just like being, I think, an Oma, as I call myself, has really been transformative for mm-hmm. me. Well, I think that's really beautiful. You even said it, it's really powerful. You're like, this isn't something I consciously think of, of I need to work on this and I need to implement it. It just happens because it's part of you and who you are and who your daughter is. I just think that's really beautiful. So really, really appreciate you sharing that. Aside from like interacting with your daughter and expressing your birth culture in that way, are you a part of any other groups that focus on your birth culture? Yes. So we have been actually, there's a very active Asian adoptee, wait, is it Asian adult adoptees of Washington? Yep. Um, it's a great group and it's a very active group. We do a lot of social things. We have a lot of get togethers during the year where I've actually formed some really deep friendships with fellow adoptees hmm. because it's an affinity group, right? So it's yeah. you're finding your people that are having a similar experience as you. There's no other feeling when I step into a group, like a get together with these people where you realize you do, there's nothing you need to explain. 
we all get it. We're all, you know, you can say, I remember telling my group of friends, oh, I changed my last name legally back to my Korean name. And everyone was like, oh yeah, we did that a few years ago. Or you're like, oh yeah, I was thinking about doing that too. Or I'm estranged from my adoptive family and half the people like, oh yeah, yeah, me too. (laughs) It's very, these common experiences that you really don't have to explain Mm. anything. I think being part of that group has been very healing and I don't know. There's so many of us. I think once you start looking, there's just so many of us. Yeah. And again, it's, it's powerful knowing that you don't have to explain anything. Like, I don't think non-adoptees may not understand the weight that we carry with that of you go to the doctor, you go to the store, you like anywhere you go, you enter a new workplace there's so many minor details that you have to explain about your story and your background, because if not, people either make assumptions or have biases or interact with you and have reactions that you're like, oh, nope, I'm adopted. It's everything's good. So I appreciate you just sharing about that group. And I know for many other adoptees, that is a really important aspect of them reconnecting with their culture, reconnecting with their identity and understanding who they are. So yeah, well, Jennifer, those are all the questions I had for you. And I really, really appreciate you just telling listeners about your story and your experience. Yeah, that was just really great. So thank you for being here today. Oh my gosh, thank you for the opportunity to connect with your community and for inviting me on the podcast. It's been just a joy. A oh, joy to thank you. Communicate. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this week's episode on the Adoptee Voyages podcast. To continue supporting this resource for transracial adoptees, please consider making a financial donation at adopteevoyages.org. Stay connected by following Adoptive Voyages on Instagram and Facebook. And finally, join me next week for another Adoptive Voyages episode.